Because then we have control over it. And I don't mean control over it, but I just mean we know where it comes from. We know nobody nobody mess with it. Because in today's world, people can mess. People want to mess with a lot. People are quick to mess with you. Let me give you a little example of how people are trying to mess with you. Let's see here. The global uh, average temperature is. Uh, read that. Read the scale. Is that Celsius or Fahrenheit? Oh, of course not. Of course, this is not how this works. You do not read global average temperature from a thermometer, and that should be obvious if you actually stop to think about the concept of global average temperature. What does it mean, and how does one go about measuring it? Well, if we're talking about an average temperature for the entire planet, we cannot be talking about the temperature that's measured from a single thermometer. So, how do you go about measuring an average global temperature? Well, perhaps it might occur to you to do this. Okay, now we've got a bunch of different thermometers. Then we'll just combine all of those readings and average them out, right? Well, that doesn't work out so well either, for reasons that again become apparent when we start to put the scope of this idea into proper context. Let's let's use an analogy here. Let's imagine you're going to try to measure the average length of blades of grass in your lawn. How do you go about doing that? Well, I guess you could take some representative blades of grass, maybe 10 blades of grass or so, and average the length there and say that that's the average length or a good approximation thereof. But well, does 10 blades of grass really give an accurate representation of the average length of your lawn? And in fact, this, uh, although obviously this is a problem, and it is a problem when we go about calculating average temperature from a weather station record that is, well, if you look at the lens of the surface air temperature station record, there are huge gaps in this. In fact, we'll quantify it later, but 70% of the land surface on the planet is unaccounted for by the Stations. So, from 30%, mostly concentrated in Europe, some pretty good coverage in North America and parts of South America, and Asia's getting there. Uh, vast swaths of Siberia and northern Russia unaccounted for, Central Asia largely unaccounted for, most of Africa unaccounted for, large parts of Australia unaccounted for, pretty much the entirety of Antarctica unaccounted for. Pretty large gaps in the weather record there. Equivalent to, well, maybe not 10 blades of grass, but how many blades of grass do you need to form an accurate global average temperature? And unfortunately, it's even more complicated than this, because at least in this example, in this analogy, well, you're you're only really dealing with with the two dimensions. I mean, the the difference in height of blades of grass. It's not going to, for example, it's not going to differ between the time that you take and collect the measurements and, and average them out. There's not going to be a significant difference in the length of the blades of grass themselves. But of course, the temperature of the Earth in any given location is changing uh, throughout the day at all times. And that's even, again, just thinking in two dimensions. Well, how about three dimensions? Because of course, when we're talking about the Earth, temperature, uh, what temperature of what height are you talking about? You have the troposphere, the stratosphere, the mesosphere, the thermosphere. 
and as temperatures are different, they're all level for the atmosphere. Uh, going down, of course, you go up into the troposphere and uh, going back up in the atmosphere, dropping down as you approach the thermosphere, and then in the thermosphere, it uh, rockets back up. In fact, in the thermosphere itself, you have uh, the absorption of solar radiation directly into gases in the thermosphere that make it the gases themselves at 2000 degrees celsius but if you had a thermometer in the thermosphere it would register below zero because there wouldn't be enough uh actual transference of that uh, that kinetic energy from the gases to actually excite the the thermometer and the air around the thermometer and transfer any heat in that fashion so it kind of brings up the question of even what temperature is and how we measure it and what, what that's actually reflecting, but uh, that's a, maybe a bit more philosophical question. But still, the point is taken that throughout the atmosphere you have different layers and you have different temperatures at different layers. So what are we talking about? Well, obviously, since we're human beings and we're concerned primarily with human beings and what's happening to us and the wildlife around us, let's take a look at the 75% or so of the atmosphere by volume that's in the troposphere, that first 11 to 13 kilometers of the atmosphere and it's down here that all the relevant weather patterns form this is really the the place where we're looking at or we were concerned about primarily and uh people from the previous video might remember the troposphere is where we would expect to see the fingerprint of global warming the, the hot spot where we would expect to see the warming being trapped and of course the greenhouse gases collecting the leaves above the troposphere in the stratosphere but again, even if you're just looking at that 11 to 13 kilometers next to the surface of the Earth, that thin slice of air that uh, really keeps us uh, alive here on this blue marble, it, well, what are we talking about with that 11 to 13 kilometers? So where exactly are we measuring the air surface air temperature? If, if you think I'm being facetious about this, I really uh, I'm not. Uh, one of the teachers, teachers of the one of the standard uh, data temperature records for surface air temperature, Goddard Institute for Space Studies, has this handy dandy fact where they talk about the elusive absolute surface air temperature. In other words, what exactly do we mean by surface air temperature? They themselves say, I doubt that there is a general agreement about how to answer this question. Even at the same location, the temperature near the ground may be very different from the temperature five feet above the ground and different again from 10 feet or 50 feet above the ground, particularly in the presence of vegetation, say in a rainforest. The temperature above the vegetation may be very different from the temperature below the top of the vegetation. A reasonable suggestion might be to use the average temperature of the first 50 feet of air either above ground or above the top of the vegetation. To measure surface air temperature, we have to agree on what it is, and as far as I know, no such standard has been suggested or generally adopted. Even if the 50-foot standard was adopted, I can't imagine that a weather station would build a 50-foot stack of thermometers to be able to find the true surface air, uh, air temperature at its location. So again, even the people who keep the surface air temperature record are admitting that this is, I mean, it has to be an artificial construction in some way. And, well, I mean, do you think that they can just take raw temperature data from thermometers and put it in the What? thermometers located where, in what way, and how do you weight them, given the, the gaps in the, the, you know, the station records and things of this nature. I mean, it, it is a lot more complicated than you might think at first glance. And in fact, it's even more complicated when you start getting into the actual ways that they do try to calculate a global average temperature. Something that, well, as Canadians might know, of course, is David Suzuki, broadcaster and emeritus professor, who is hailed by most Canadians as a uh, 
a wonderful genius of science and a proselytizer for, for science and someone who, of course, believes wholeheartedly 100% in catastrophic and propagenic global warming. And he was uh, well surprised by a question on the Australian Q&A program a couple of years ago. So where are you getting your information? I'm not the climatologist. I wait for the
They're trying to look for temperature anomalies more so than they are an actual global average temperature. And these are the types of uh, records that they're looking at. UAH, RSS, Astrid, and CBC. UAH and RSS are satellite uh, temperature records. Astrid, NCBC, and GIS are surface air temperature estimates. This is important because there are different quality levels of different temperature data sets. Uh, quality class one, the satellite records, UAH and RSS, are quality class one because satellite temperatures are generally more reliable than surface air temperature estimates. They are, um, they're more, uh, they have a, a, a higher sampling rate. Uh, usually satellite records will sample the entire surface of the Earth every uh, twice a day or, or something on that order. Um, so they're, they're very extensive, very reliable temperature uh, uh, records, whereas Hadford uh, and TDP GIFs are surface temperature records that are, well, less uh, less reliable. Uh, for example, uh, Quality Class 2 is the Hadford record, Quality Class 3 is NTBC and GIFs, because NTBC and GIFs often experience quite large administrative changes, the concept we'll come back to later, and therefore essentially must be considered un unstable records. Uh, changes are introduced to head crystals are fewer and smaller, and then they're talking about the sea surface uh, temperature record that factors into this. So again, a lot of stuff to go through, but the upshot of this is that when you compare the satellite record, the quality class one, to the uh, habitat and the uh, gifts and NCPC, the quality class two and three, the surface air temperature estimates, you find that there is an appreciable difference in temperature anomaly. In this period, 1979 to 2008, the satellite record found a, uh, a temperature anomaly of 0 0.45 and 0 0.37 degrees Celsius, whereas the less reliable head trip uh, found 0 0.55 degrees Celsius temperature anomaly and Kissin and CBC found 0.64 and 0.58 degrees Celsius temperature anomaly, respectively. That means, essentially, that the satellite record is diverging from the surface air temperature estimate record, and the satellite record is showing less warming than the less reliable surface air temperature record. Uh, again, this is something that has been referred to in various ways. Some of this post are that continues to diverge from this that was released just yesterday, talking again about this divergence that is taking place in the demonstrable between the, the more reliable satellite records and the less reliable surface air temperature estimates. And uh, the most revealing part of this is probably this showing the trend from 1979 to 2015, which shows that between 1979 and 2001, although the numbers, the actual uh, numbers of the phenomenon were different between the satellite records uh, in red and the surface air temperature estimates, the trend was roughly the same which shows that there's at least something that seems to be converging here and it looks like the, the, the data is in some way uh, going together. But some, from 2001 on, suddenly the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the surface air temperature estimate record continues to rise, but the satellite record is showing actually a slight degree of cooling. And this, of course, is the pause, which everyone has probably heard of by this point, the pause in global warming. Which, for people who don't know, uh, I, I'll do an entire video on this uh, alone so you can find out more about it. But uh, number one, the, the start point of the pause is not arbitrary, it is calculated. And number two, it is calculated from the RSS, the satellite global mean temperature uh, change is the least squared from your regression trend on the RSS satellite global mean temperature anomaly data set. It shows that now, as of now, as of December, 18 years and nine months of no global warming. So again, 
the satellite record and the surface air temperature record continue to diverge, and the satellite record, the more reliable record, shows that there is no significant warming taking place, no statistically significant warming is taking place for almost two decades. Now, again, just to back up, why is this? Why is the surface air temperature record uh, less reliable than, than uh, satellites? And going back to that weather gap, the uh, weather station gap that we looked at earlier, and again, from Goddard Institute of Space Science, and they're back on the Gitz surface temperature analysis, they have this question, what is LOPI, the Land Ocean Temperature Index? And it says, weather stations reporting surface air temperatures are positioned on land, which covers only one third of the planet. The rest is covered by oceans, where SAT reports are there. So not only do you only have about 30 to 40 percent of the uh, land covered with weather stations, only 30 percent of the planet itself is covered in land. So again, it's a fraction of a fraction that is making up um, the, uh, the, the, the temperature record that they're using. And just to put this into perspective, uh, this is the percentage of U.S.-based uh, uh, data records, temperature data records, that goes into the GHCN, the Global Historical Climatology Network uh, temperature data set. Uh, so it varies um, depending on how far back in the record you go, but upwards of 50, 52, 53% in the early 1900s, again, reaching over the 50% record in the 1990s and 2000s. Still, uh, about 40% of the entire GHCN global surface air temperature estimate comes from U.S.-based records alone, and the U.S. land surface is 6.6% of the entire Earth's surface. So 6.6% of your surface is making up more than 40% of the uh, data that goes into this global average temperature number for GHCN. So again, it shows you why things are not quite as reliable as uh, just averaging a bunch of thermometers together. But how about, why can't we just use the raw data? I mean, we have raw data from all these weather stations. Why do we need to calculate anything? Why don't we just add them together and average them out? Just averaging the raw data would give results that are highly dependent on the particular locations, latitude, and elevation, and reporting periods of the actual weather station. Such results would mostly reflect those accidental circumstances rather than yield meaningful and illustrative information about our climate. Can you illustrate the above with a simple example? Assume that a station at the bottom of the mountain said it sent in reports continuously starting in 1880, and assume that a station was built near the top of that mountain and started reporting in 1900. Since those new temperatures are much lower than the temperature from the station in the valley, averaging the two temperature series would create a substantial temperature drop starting in 1900. Well, how can we combine the data of those two stations above in meaningful ways? What may be done before combining those data is to increase the new data or lower the old ones until the two series seem consistent. How much we have to adjust these data may be estimated by comparing the time period with reports from both stations. After the offset, the averages over the common period should be equal. Uh, this is the basis for the Gibbs method. So again, they go on and talk about different methods for this uh, homogenization of data from different stations or uh, to smooth out areas where there's a little coverage or where there's adjustments needed in order to, to make things you know, smooth out with the data. And uh, this is really the, the core of why the surface air temperature estimates are not reliable uh, data sets. And there's more on that from this Climate for You website on temporal stability of global air temperature estimates, where they go through and, and break it down by the different uh, types of uh, temperature record satellite and what have you. They show the different temperature records and how they've been altered over the years, the adjustments that have been made to them. Uh, it's a lot to go through, but uh, I'll provide this link as just a, a short form version of this data tampering at USHDN. Yes, 
and that shows how the measure that USHCM daily temperature data shows a decline in US temperature since the 1930s. But before they release it to the public, they put it through a series of adjustments which change it from a cooling trend to a warming trend. So uh, before, it, uh, it goes downward, it's downward trend, and then they take that data and they do their magic and and that's not just one or two isolated examples. There are many, 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 many examples of this where they take the, uh, the high temperatures in the past and they make them lower. And they take the lower temperatures near the present and they make them higher. Nothing has changed in the actual whatever did happen in the 1930s. They're just changing their, their record. So it makes it look cooler in the past and look warmer in the present to give a more pronounced warming trend that is in line with this catastrophic and warming hypothesis. Again, you can take a look at the changes that were made to GIS uh, US temperature data since 1999 to GIS 33, and uh, look at that, lower in the past, higher in the present. The, uh, the temperature, again, this is how much they're adjusting the data. So, of course, you've got to adjust the past lower. And again, it happens in Reykjavik, it happens in Ellis Springs, it happens all over the world. They're adjusting the temperature, and um, again, it's pretty obvious when you take a look, and, and this is the change that's reported uh, in GIS since 1999. I mean, just look at that, where they lowered the past and warmed the present. Uh, it's a nice way to create warming, anyway. And so that's what's been going on with the adjustments. Uh, I, I, so again, the question of how we actually get a global average temperature is unfortunately not as simple as sticking at the mountain route and just measuring the temperature. It is a calculation. There's a lot that goes into it. And we have covered a lot of the different shenanigans that go into this, but really, I mean, there's this is only scraping the surface. What we've covered so far is only the background that you would need to have to in, order, in order to even begin parsing through the debates about the, uh, the temperature record and how reliable it is or is not. But let's just keep in mind what we looked at in a previous uh, video here. Uh, referee papers, uncertainty in the global average surface air temperature index representative lower limit, which concludes a representative lower limit uncertainty of plus minus 0.46 degrees Celsius was found for any global annual surface air temperature anomaly. This plus or minus 0.46 degrees Celsius reveals that the global, global surface air temperature anomaly trend from 1880 to 2000 is statistically indistinguishable from 0 degrees Celsius and represents a lower limit of calibration uncertainty for climate models and for any perspective physically justifiable proxy reconstruction or of paleo temperature. The rate and magnitude of 20th century warming are thus unknowable and suggestions of an unprecedented trend in 20th century global air temperature are unsustainable. Again, so pretty important uh, conclusions, but one that you won't see trumpeted in the, the mainstream media in the same way that you'll see all of those hottest year ever claims, hottest month ever. It's uh, reported as I like clockwork every year, and uh, well, we'll break down in another video just how much uh, bumps goes into those things. But uh, again, statistically indistinguishable zero, the rate of magnitude of 20th century warming unknowable, and suggestions of an unprecedented trend in 20th century global air temperature are unknowable. Well, I bet you didn't think you'd get through all of that information, and all of this will be in the show notes. All of this data will be in the show notes, so you can it for yourself. But uh, that's an awful lot of information for a very seemingly simple question. But hey, look on the bright side. If you made it through this video, then you now know more about the global data, uh, temperature, and, uh, temperature data and how it's constructed than David Suzuki. Not that that's saying much.
Thanks, James. I really appreciate that. Um, that's exactly why we go farm to table. Peace and love.